Welcome to the Strength Rehab Podcast. Join your hosts, Raul Axmayer and Brandon Parker, as they discuss the latest information regarding the health and fitness industries. Topics include sports performance, physical rehab, and of course, general health. Remember, this is the podcast where science meets practice. Hey guys, thank you for tuning in once again. Before we dive into the episode, we want to give a huge shout out to our podcast sponsor, Build by Strength. They are a great, great supplement company. You can use the code strength.rehab15 for 15% off in any of their product or way easier. You can go to the show notes and hit the link and it'll directly link you to their website with the 15% off already. We had Jared Hamilton today on the podcast. He shared his story and his insight on having the right mindset when it comes to fitness and fat loss for long-term success. So enjoy this episode. Straight vodka. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, so what's your story, man? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I like to say I've, I've you know, I've got three dogs and like long walks, walks on sandy beaches. Uh, no, I'm just no uh, I do have three dogs though. Uh, no, my name's Jared Hamilton. I'm 28. I live over here in Indiana. Um, so lots of corn everywhere, lots of cornfields. But, um, but no, I, I'm an, stereotypically, most people know me as a, an online coach uh, for fitness and fat loss and that kind of thing. Um, a lot of what I talk about is, you know, like we mentioned off camera is a lot about the mind and how to like reprogram your headspace just because everything kind of comes from there. But, um, you know, the, the big reason I kind of got into this because I've been doing this for about a decade, this whole coaching thing because uh, I've been where most people are at. Like I've been a trendy dieter where I used to spend more, mu more money on supplements than I did on groceries. I used to think carb stored fat. I used to, you know, do every diet under the sun. I've never been naturally lean or athletic. And um, so it's, you know, when I was little, I used to actually resent that, but, but now it's a gift that I, I, I view it as a gift because now I can relate to literally anyone I talk to where it's like, Hey, I've been there, man. I, I know what it's like to be scared to take your shirt off at the pool party. I know what it's like to be willing to suffer and just eat trash for your goals and like on, on everything. But I've been, been doing this for, for about a decade in the world of coaching. And um, this is all I do. I don't like have a side job. Like I coach people online full time. And um, you know, I have, a, I have a podcast. I, I love talking. I love podcasting. And that's kind of, kind of Jared in a nutshell, if you will. <laughs> Do you talk about mental health with all of your online clients? Um, yes and no. Like, so uh, most of them, yes, but because of where it fits. Because cause here's the thing, like, I'm a big fan of not, don't break or don't fix what's not broken. And uh, yep. it's all about what that person needs, right? Like, you know, it's, 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 it's almost like strength training. You know, if someone has their first day in the gym, and they've never worked down, I'm probably not going to make them do deadlifts and back squat max outs. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. It's, it's the same thing with the, with the headspace side of stuff where like mental health is such an important thing, even if like, because there's still like the stigma around mental health and like therapy and things like that. Because, you know, I used to think that only suicidal maniacs would go to therapy or would get, would talk about mental health. But that's mm -hmm. like saying, you know, going to the doc, only going to the doctor if you're healthy or have cancer. Like there's a lot in between, you know, you don't have to have had a big traumatic incident to, you know, have your mental health suffering or some people just are naturally live in their negative emotions or all this stuff. But the issue where it comes to fitness, where I, where I do talk about with most people is very rarely do I have someone that comes to work with me that their problem is calories and strength training. Mm -hmm. Most people have some sort of struggle with binge eating or emotional eating or the, the scale could look at them wrong and it literally ruins their entire day or their mm -hmm. self image is just terrible just because they want to lose 10 pounds or whatever. And I, I just don't see much of this fitness and coaching space. And 
helping with that. Like nine times out of 10, if you tell a coach that you have emotional eating problems, they're just going to say, well, get it out of the house and have an apple. <laughs> like, but that's like, that doesn't tell them any, that, that, that doesn't teach someone how to handle their actual own inner, inner emotions and their thought process. Um, just because you, you can't trash your mental health for a physical body, right? If you want to have long lasting results, whether it's getting stronger or losing some weight or whatever it is, you have to come from a place where you could, you know, be successful with what you're doing for the next decade. Like imagine if, I mean, that, imagine living in a house where the, the builder only cared about the first year, right? Like <laughs> you're like, that'd be terrible. Like, you know, the builder thinks about like, all right, this thing has to last for the next hundred years. How are we going to build this? Mm-hmm. And whether someone's just getting strong, wanting to lose some weight, some weight or wanting to like improve just who they are, you have to come from it from that, that place where like, all right, this house has to last the next hundred years. Not just like, well, Becky's doing keto and, and she lost 30 pounds. So, you know. <laughs> so I have a question. So when you talk about long lasting results and it has to, they have to love what they're doing. Right. <laughs> and when you, when you bring on a new patient or I'm sorry, a new client, it, it, it's all about habit building, right? You know, they're, they're coming from a place where they don't have really good habits and you have to basically deconstruct each one. Do you have to explain to them like, hey, this is going to take some time because some people like, for example, Becky and Keto, they want the weekly results where sure. habit building is going to take like a month or two months. Yeah, and so no, on. no doubt. Uh, so that's the thing is part of that is just education. Like, hey, and like a lot of it's bringing perspective, changing perspective and just educating, right? Where people are like, Jared, it's been a week. Why am I not shredded yet? And I'm like, it's been seven days. Like, like when was the last time you did anything for seven? Like and, and a lot of times that's when I, 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 from an education side, I bring in real life examples. Like you literally people go on vacation for two, one to two weeks, eat like an asshole, drink like a fish. And they look the exact same when they get back. And I'm like, so just two weeks into a program, of course you're not going to be stronger or much stronger. You're not going to look any different. It's like this game happen is slow. I, I, I give a lot of analogies. That's like, I, I say like one of my superpowers is uh, like my only superpower is taking some crazy <laughs> complex thing and like simplifying it for like a six-year-old could understand it. Cause I'm like a 200 pound six-year-old, um, <laughs> but, 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 but speeding up fit, physical progress, like fitness or getting stronger or rehabbing muscles or you're losing weight. It's like pregnancy. Nothing cool happens for about nine months and you can't <laughs> fix that. Right. But like, imagine if someone was pregnant like ultrasound babies in there and they're like, no, I have to have it. I have to have my baby in, in, in two months. The doctor's going to be like, okay, well tough cookies. So <laughs> because you, just, you, you can't, you can't speed up what's meant to be slow. Right. It's why someone could literally eat like eat, overeat for a week and not look any different. Why one could also starve themselves. Not that it's a good idea for a week and not look any different right? You can't take time out of the equation. And that's where people get bent out of shape and into trouble, whether it be rehabbing muscles, whether it be uh, getting stronger, losing weight, is they try to speed up what's meant to be slow. Mm-hmm. But in any other area of life, if you speed up what's meant to be slow, bad stuff happens. You know what I mean? That's a great analogy. Like that's, that's something I'm definitely going to put in my back pocket for my clinic. <laughs> I yeah. love it. Ever, ever since you shared your story, you, you started giving more stories and more analogies. And that's great for communication. I love it. Well, I, it's, awesome. I'm, I'm super, I'm a super simple guy and I'm really like, I don't think I'm like that smart. So like, uh, examples and analogies and stories is like my language. So <laughs> for sure. But th- I have a question. So when it came, you mentioned that, you know, you fell for the, the fad diets and you did the crash, the crash, uh, dieting and also the binge eating. I was curious, like, where was your headspace and why did you personally fall for it? I know you might have been coming from a less educated standpoint, yep. 
but what was your thought process behind that? That's what everyone else was doing. It's, okay. it's literally, I think why, why, so um, I grew, uh, the, the gym that I started working out in was kind of like a bodybuilder gym. And if you look, if you look at like most the common play, places in the fitness industry about, about wrong information, dude, they're all back in the seventies from when Arnold was bodybuilding. Yep. People think they have to work out two hours a day, seven days a yep. week. They think carbs are bad. They think you have to wor- uh, eat for your body type. Like uh, you have to do all this stuff. You have to you know, quit eating before you go to bed or that mm-hmm. you have to take magic supplements to make cool stuff happen or um, that magic potions of like apple cider vinegar and turmeric and lemon juice. Magically burn fat. Like it's it, all this stuff is back from like the seventies. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, it, in, I think a lot of it's just education. A lot of people are convinced that that's what happens. And that's what I fell into. I didn't know any better. I was just mm-hmm. like, I started a gym and all of a sudden all the Jack shredded guys are telling me, Hey, carbs are bad. Fruits bad. You, you have to eat every three hours. You have to quit eating before you go to bed. Hey, too much. You can only absorb 40 grams of protein at once. Women shouldn't strength train. Like, well, he's bigger and shredded than I am. So he must be right. <laughs> like, yep. uh, whereas that was blatantly wrong. And it wasn't until I changed my circle and changed who influenced me um, into when that, that started to change. And then I would implement those things on, on myself. And then the results would happen. I'm like, oh, I don't have to be afraid of sugar. I don't have to restrict myself so much to where I have to have a binge day. I call a cheat day mm-hmm. or, you know, things like that. So besides education, uh, what other tips and tricks do you share with your clients to help them with their binge eating disorders? I love that. So, um, so that's one of the things I work with a lot of people, like a lot of people will work with me because specifically they say, because I talk about it in my content a lot is they say my relationship with food is trash and I need to fix it. Because again, the headspace stuff, like the inner work of what I call fat loss psychology is where you, the way you view progress, the way you, your expectations are, um, all this stuff isn't a calorie and strength training thing. It's a how you think and how you believe kind of thing. So when, if, if your foundation is like your relationship with food, like that has to be number one. Otherwise, like you're never, you're going to, you're, any progress you have is going to be temporary. So because if you're just feeling like you have to deprive yourself, eventually you have a blowout day. It's it's, and then that's your habit. And then there's sabotage and all this stuff. We have to fix it at that. But the reality is our body in so many cases, our body tells our mind what to think, right? The, here, the cool thing about the, about, about the human mind that, that really separates us from animals is like that we can have thoughts about thoughts. Yeah. You thought about that? Like, it's pretty cool. Like, like it's, if I like have a gut reaction to like do something and I can be like, take a step back and go, actually, why am I thinking that? That has no logic or data behind it. Like, like I can, we can have thoughts about our thoughts. And one thing I teach my clients is that like, we can't be so quick to believe everything we think just because you think something doesn't mean you have to act on it. Cause what's interesting is we have all these double standards for fitness and not fitness, right? If your neighbor pisses you off and you want to just like, and your first reaction is burn their house down. Like, you don't act on that. Yeah. But for some reason in fitness, when something doesn't go your way and you're like, I want to quit. I want to deprive myself. I want to do something stupid. Everyone's like, it must be true. Right. <laughs> we have all these double standards. Well, that's, that's the first thing I teach is that not everything you think is valid. Actually when getting in this highly emotional game of fitness and fat loss and emotions running wild, like most of what someone thinks isn't true, right. That, that they have to deprive themselves. They have to suffer. Um, just because the scale bounced two pounds of water doesn't mean they need to quit and go get bariatric surgery. Had that happen once. Um, it's and people do stupid stuff when they're emotional. So it's part of this game is realizing that not every thought you think is true. So it makes us 
really start to course correct mentally. Like, is that actually what I should do? You know, what am I thinking? Should I, you know, it, it basically makes you be more critical about this stuff, but too often, or what happens is I believe our body tells our minds what to think. Cause again, your mind's role is to do two things. The way that I believe is your mind's role is to prove you right with whatever your basic underlying beliefs are. It will find reasons to validate your belief system. Mm -hmm. And number two, survival, right? The biology side of our brain is, is Mm self-preservation. So if you have improper belief systems, especially around this emotional game of looking better and feeling better and all that stuff is kind of messed up, there's going to be some illogical things going on. But like, like for example, if someone comes to me and says that their relationship with food is just bad and they want to fix it. So literally one of the tactics I use is I find whatever food they struggle with, I put it in their program every single day. <laughs> so what happens is like people who think, uh, let's say they struggle with candy. I, Cause I'm a fan of not hiding a trigger or hiding or covering up a problem. I'm like, well, let's go to it first and get rid of it. And then life gets a lot easier. Mm-hmm. That way you're not like in this battle of willpower and biology. Well, so let's say someone has a relationship with food or ill relationship with food. And they're like, they're so scared of candy because they struggle. They can't stop eating it when they do. And they just get it out of the house. Like, okay, that's a good first step. But the issue is this isn't drugs or alcohol where we can just get rid of it and never touch it again. We have to eat to survive. So it's, it makes it a little bit more complicated than just get your trigger out of the house. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just remove the trigger. So what I would have someone do is because they still are afraid carb store fat, sugar stores, fat, candy stores, fat, they can't control themselves, whatever. Well, we got to convince them from their body standpoint that that's not true. So I would have someone like, let's say they're tracking calories. They're in a deficit. They'll lose weight. No problem. Like that's just how the game goes. Well, I would say, all right, I want you to go get your favorite candy bar every single day from the gas station and put it in your calories. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to store fat. I'm like, no, you're not. That's not how science works. Sorry. <laughs> like I didn't keep up with the rules and they'll do it and they'll be in their deficit, hitting their numbers, being consistent. And then also having a candy bar every day like a 300 calorie candy bar out of their 2000 calories. And then all of a sudden they lose their weight. They're, they're literally start seeing progress while doing something that goes against their old belief system. And then all of a sudden there's some alignment where their body told their mind what to do, where, because they didn't quite believe it in their head, but their actions changed anyway. And then they saw the black and white evidence in front of them. They physically lost weight. All of a sudden they're like, every, every single one of them goes, I get it now. This makes so much sense. Because also from like just a normal human behavior side, when you eat whatever it is you, you were triggered by every single day, now it's not special. It's like your partner bringing you flowers every single day. It's not cool anymore. It's not special. But too often when people have their trigger food once every blue moon or they weigh themselves once every whatever, no wonder they're going to have a crazy emotional response because they've built this up too much. Yeah. But we got to fix a problem of that food relationship. Otherwise, you're just a ticking time bomb to blowing up and going back to old ways. For sure. Putting things on a pedestal yep. can only set you up for failure, especially oh, when, absolutely. when you're not doing the right thing to begin with. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm curious because, like, you know, it seems like you're very good at simplifying things, and as you should as a coach, because you want to get the point across. But mm-hmm. sometimes I come across like I make it almost too simple where they, like, they think, no, nah, it has to be way more complex than that. You don't know what you're talking about. Have you ever come across that situation? Not too often, to be honest. Um, but even if it does, it's like, I would literally explain it to them like, like that. It's like, no, if uh, complexity is the enemy of execution, right? Mm-hmm. Like Einstein said, if you can't explain what you're talking about to a six-year-old, you don't know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. right? It's like, if I had to play, explain a calorie deficit to a six-year-old, I'm like, you eat this much, you got to eat this much. And they go, oh, like it's, and that's the thing. If I had someone that really was like, getting skeptical about the simplicity, I would complicate it up for them. We can make anything 
the art of bullshitting. Like you can make anything <laughs> complicated. Like you can start using bigger words. You can like start talking about all this stuff, but like the vast majority of people don't care. And mm-hmm. that the more complicated we make it, the worse it gets. But even if you do have that random person, that's just like, no, I know it's more complicated than, than that. Mm-hmm. That could actually be what's holding them back is they think it's bigger than what it is, where it's like, no, actually your insulin response doesn't supersede your energy expenditure or your meal timing doesn't supersede your energy expenditure or no, sorry. The fact, I know you talking about this post-workout shake is like God, but like your total days worth of protein is really way more important than like a 40 gram shake. And uh, a lot of it is just a matter of education and talking to them. But then like, there's a level of recept- being receptive. Like if they're not receptive to uh, being coachable enough to change their belief systems, they're probably not an ideal client anyway, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Now it seems like with these analogies, um, they, you say them so cleanly, you say them so precisely and they're very good. And you mentioned it is your superpower. So it makes sense. <laughs> I'm just curious. Was this like, an, obviously there's a natural gift behind it, but was there an improvement to them? And was there a process to getting better at them? I mean, I, anymore, I use a lot of the same ones sim, that are very similar. So like repetition helps me with that. But to be honest, where they come from is like, I never had like a mentor of mine say something about it. Like I would generally, they come up on the fly, like mm-hmm. as, and I don't mean that to sound like special, but like, I'm telling you, I have such, my brain works in such a simple, logical driven place mm-hmm. where I'll be teaching someone something. And all of a sudden it's like pregnancy. Like, can you imagine someone pre speeding up pregnancy? It's a biological <laughs> process you can't mess with. Um, and it's stuff like that. So generally they just come up off the top of my head every mm-hmm. once in a while. I get a trash analogy. That's just like <laughs> that. I should have kept, kept that one to myself. Most of them are pretty good, but the things with, with analogies are it uh, that I love about them that are outside of the fitness world is that someone's doing in their day to day. It instantly makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like one of my favorites is when someone tells me they're an all or nothing person, like they're like, oh, I've got an all or nothing mentality and they wear it like a badge of honor. And then I'll say, okay, well, have you ever cracked your, like, have you ever cracked your phone screen? And they go, well, yeah. I said, what'd you do? And they're like, kept using it. And I go, why didn't you like keep stomping on it until it never turned <laughs> on again? Because all or nothing. And they're like, uh, I said, you ever, did you, and, and, and some, and, or like you ever got a B in school, like when you were in college and they go, yeah. And I go, so why didn't you drop out? <laughs> and it's, it's stuff like that because if it apply from an application standpoint, if I can take something that they're currently doing as an, an analogy that they get mm-hmm. and I correlate it to what they're struggling with. There's just instant alignment. That's the, that's, that's my thought process with these analogies. Like when someone says, Oh, I'm an all or nothing person. Cause I got to start over Monday. And I'm like, have you ever forgot to brush your teeth? Like fell asleep on the couch. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, but why didn't you not brush your teeth till Monday? And they're like, cause that's gross. I go, but you do it with nutrition and it's okay. And they're like, Oh, I guess that may-. it's basically forcing someone to get it. Yeah. Um, without forcing it with like just using logic. I don't know. That's just how my brain works. Um, Cause I just, I hate how complicated this game can be. I, I oh, remember yeah. this probably comes if you, I dig deep a little bit, it probably comes from like when I started out with this, I was so overwhelmed with information, what was right, what wasn't right. And, it, and you ever get so overwhelmed with information, you almost become numb and you're just like, I don't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. I don't want anyone else to be in that position because so often the fitness world is trying to sell you a bunch of stuff yeah. you don't need and tries to overcomplicate it. So it's like, Oh, this must be right. Right. And I just, I just never liked it. And for me, if someone can think for themselves and really understand, especially when it goes to, to changing entire behavior, behavioral systems, that's what's most important. Oh, for sure. Now, I mean, obviously it's as easy as like you being account, not as, as easy, but you being the, the accountability for some of your clients is, is key. 
but is there any specific uh, routes that you might take to build like specific habits for your clients? Yeah. So I, I view accountability as a double-edged sword because, uh, <laughs> so I don't have kids, I have dogs, but like I use parenting analogies a lot and especially the way that I think, because here's the thing in the world of coaching, I compare it to parenting because do you guys have kids by chance? No, thank okay, God. Cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> dogs for life. So, um, I see people in like, I view coaching and parenting the same way. Um, if you're overparented, if you overparent your child, they will, they will be living at home till they're 40. They will never be able to succeed without you. People overparent their clients. I have, I've seen people that are now coaching with me who've had overcoaching coaches. And like, like, one, like for example, I have a girl that I work with right now where she, when I told her, like, she's like, well, do I have to email you every single day when I wake up? And I go, no, like, that'd be 365 emails a year. Like, no, like why? There's nothing that's going to happen in 24 hours. It's going to make me have to change your program. And she's like, well, my last coach made me email him every single morning. And I'm like, well, we're not doing that. That's, that's, it said, now you feel like you can't survive without him. She's like, yeah, I said, that's the problem. That's not serving. That's not helping you. And that's doing you a disservice. That would be like me. If I had a kid, not letting my kid leave my side, we're like, there's going to be a day he's going to leave, be a, be a grown adult. Mm-hmm. But then there's the other spectrum under coaching or under parenting, right? Like we all know people, kids who have had parents that didn't do a very good job and three-year-olds are making their own grilled cheeses. Well, that's not okay either. But I've seen coaches who like don't check in with their clients, but once every month and a half and like a lot can happen in six weeks. Mm-hmm. So for me, coaching is, is, should be very similar to good parenting. And it also changes. If a client of mine's going through a rough time, there's more love, support and accountability. If they're doing well, I might extend that leash a little bit so they have to be able to, they learn that they will eventually be able to do this without me. You know, it's, that's how I view it because it, it's kind of like the, the building the house analogy where it's like, I know there's going to be a day I'm not going to be here. Right. And I got it. I want to make sure my people are good without me when that day comes so they can be a productive member of society, like a parent growing, raising a kid. So in the world of accountability, a lot of it's that, and there's like a level of sensory, sensory acuity. If they're struggling with really having a hard time, I might lean in a little bit more with the accountability with support, but if they're killing it, I might step out a little bit, not crazy. Like I just, you know, might not reach out as much or I, you know, will let a little bit more stuff go on that way. They can realize they're, they're doing it. They're like, they don't need me every second of the day. So there's a level of that, like sensory acuity, but then also a lot of it is, it sounds so basic is the ability to keep a promise that they made to themselves. Right. How many times in the fitness world has someone said, I'm going to do cardio in the morning and they don't, I'm going to start over Monday and then Tuesday rolls around. All right. I'm going to only have one drink and they have like seven. And the issue is breaking promises to yourself is a ethical issue. If you really want to break it down to character flaw, like what happens is like we've all, we all have that friend that like you love them to pieces and you do anything for them, but you can't rely on them. Right. Like imagine like the example I give is imagine if your, your friend said, Hey, I'll meet you tomorrow for lunch at noon. And they go, okay. And you meet them. And then all of a sudden they just no show. And then they're like, Oh yeah, sorry. I I just decided I wasn't hungry. So I didn't show up. And you're like, okay. And they're like, well, let's meet tomorrow at noon. And you're like, okay, we'll, we'll do it. And, but you're like, you're a little leery about it. And then they do the same thing. They no show you. And you're like, Hey, what happened? And they're like, Oh, uh, my favorite TV show came on and I wanted to wait till it was over. And you're like, okay. And they're like tomorrow for sure. And then you do it tomorrow and then they don't show. And they're like, yeah, I wasn't hungry again. And then they're like, let's do the next day. Eventually you're going to be like, no, yeah. 
Because, but here's the scary thing. We do that to ourselves mentally. When we break promises over and over and over and over, I'm going to start tomorrow and don't. I'm going to stay consistent finally and don't. I'm only, I'm going to start making my bed and then quit. You have the same, in the same way with that friend, you would mentally check out on them. We do it subconsciously to ourselves. So that's the issue is if I see someone from the accountability side and they're really struggling with like doing this, we have to start with small habits rapidly, right? Mm -hmm. Like not crazy workouts or crazy nutrition stuff. It's like, make your bed. Like within 30 seconds, you kept a promise to yourself of waking. One of my favorites is I'll have someone wake up, make their bed and drink a glass of water. So within two minutes, they've accomplished two goals, kept two promises themselves and immediately have momentum for the day on like, oh, I can actually rely on myself. Now we get repetition with that. Then all of a sudden there's abnormal amounts of like, that's where self-confidence come from. That's where happiness come from. Mm -hmm. Jocko Willink says discipline equals freedom. This is where you, when you get to the point where you can rely on yourself more than anyone on the planet, that's where self-confidence come from, comes from. That's where happiness comes from. But again, most people don't think it's that simple. They think it's like, it's some crazy thing. It's like, no, can you do what you told yourself you would do? And are you the person that you tell yourself you are? And that's where a lot of the success with this comes from to answer your question about like, what things do I have my clients do that really helps is we have this conversation about keeping promises to themselves. And the reason they're struggling is because they haven't been. So definitely consistency in the small things creates huge changes oh, yeah. in time oh, for yeah. long-term yeah. success. That's everything. Cause if you try to do everything right right now and you fail in one, it's like an all or nothing response. You, right. you won't do anything, but if you do, let's say three simple things today and you do it for one week, two weeks, and you keep adding to that, then you got the momentum to have long-term success. 100%. This, uh, I tell people discipline is like a muscle. If it's weak, it can get strong. It just, you might have to start with something smaller. Like if you can't push a, a 40 pound dumbbell over your head or grab a 20 and you can do it then. If you have a hard time being consistent with your training, your, your nutrition or all this bigger stuff, well, why don't we start with a smaller thing? Like putting the toilet paper roll on the thing instead of just sitting it there or <laughs> say, I'm going to go on a, a 20 minute walk every day and actually do it for the next month. Or I'm going to actually finish the book I started or whatever. Um, it, it, it literally doesn't have to be anything big. It could be, I'm going to, spill water on the floor and then clean it up every day. It like just, I'm going to do X and I have to do X. And it's that simple. Definitely. Now, have you ever like, you know, we, we talked about or alluded to earlier, like, you know, maybe that client is not the client for you. Have you ever been in a situation where you were in the middle of coaching and made that realization like, whoa, I don't know if this is going to be a right match. How did you navigate through that space? Um, that, so the way I have my, my, what I call my coaching process set up where that doesn't really happen okay. or it doesn't happen that often. Like I, it's, I wish I learned this earlier on in my career. I have like, I have purposeful hoops for people to jump through to work with me. Um, uh, I don't pitch my coaching very often. So nine times out of 10 for someone to get to the point where they're now on a phone call with me to see about coaching, they're bought into the message. They're pot. They've listened to the podcast for six months. They've been an avid Instagram follower for the past year where like they get, my way of thinking, which solves half the problems, but also, cause like my, I have a process, like I won't just take every anyone on. They, ha I have to, they, I make every, everyone apply to work with me. So they fill out this in-depth application that doesn't have to do with your height, weight and exercise history. It's like, mm -hmm. I want to know about your goals, what you've been doing, what your mentality is, what your headspace is. Like it's that kind of stuff that tells me a lot about someone. And I have, I basically have like certain questions that are like my red flags so if they answer this one this way, that's a red flag. If they answer this one this way, that's a green light. 
And then that proceeds to an email conversation. And then the email conversation that I actually answer, it's not just like an automated thing, goes to a phone call. And then someone actually has to pay a small fee to have said phone call, which they get that payment back on their first month. Like, but then we get to the phone call with me where I'm actually talking to you. So because of those hoops I have you jump through, it shows me who's serious, who's in this to change and who's not just looking for the next trendy diet and 30 day detox. So like a lot of the stuff that would, what I call disqualify someone as a client is pretty well weeded out. Now, with that being said, I don't hop on as many calls as I could if I just hop on the phone call phone with anyone. But by the time someone gets to a phone call with me, they're going to be a really good client. But I have had things happen where people where you know, something happens and they, they, I end up, you know, we weren't as good of a fit. Um, I, I'll take ownership of that where it's like, Hey, maybe we weren't as a good of fit as a, what, what I thought, or, you know, or like I've had clients just in, out of nowhere have terrible attitudes and they, they literally say I've mentally checked out and I'm not in this anymore. I, I don't do this. Like, don't get me wrong. Money's part of this, but I do this cause I want to help people not just because I'm trying to milk every dollar out of somebody. And I've, I've ended client relationships early because they look like I had a lady literally recently say, yeah, I'm just mentally checked out and I'm not really not in this anymore. And I'm like, well, then it's probably a good idea for, you know, us not to continue. And we would like stop early because I'm not going to force her to like pay for something Mm -hmm. that she's not mentally in this, but also I have a line of people waiting for my help that need my help. And I'm not going to just because it makes a little bit of money, like do that. Cause that's also mentally and, and physically draining to try to like pull someone through the mud but like I said, that's very few and far between anymore just because of the process that I have set up where I don't usually get trouble clients anymore or very many at least. So how did you develop this online niche? Say that again? My online niche? Yeah. Because uh, I got pissed off. <laughs> no, so, no, for real though. So um, I, I, I just, I, it, got, it got me, you know, crazy with how I used to do my thing. Like, I, well, I, first of all, I started hanging around people who were doing things the right way. So I naturally be like them, right? Like we become like those we surround ourselves with. But then like I started to start posting content, started doing this stuff. And I started to feel like it's interesting um, posting things like, you know, the best seven glute exercises or how to increase your squat by whatever. I started to feel hollow, right? Mm-hmm. I just don't get me wrong. There's a time and a place for that. But I'm, I've learn to become very aware of how certain things feel in my body. So when certain things make me feel hollow or there's no purpose in them, or when I start to feel something feels heavy, like that, that's, that's my, in my opinion, that's our body or something greater than you trying to say, Hey, it's time to level up. Right. Cause when I started out, that's all I would talk about. It's just like, Hey, here's how the proper bench press technique or five different curl variations, which is nothing wrong with that. There are people that need that, but I'm like, but I just, it felt like I that's not authentic to me anymore. I just started feeling heavy about it or hollow as a person. But then I also felt usually at the same time that happens, something else over here feels purposeful. Mm-hmm. So I just, I started going with that. And then I started talking about, then I started getting into like sustainability and how things like carbs don't store fat and how like, Hey, your, your life doesn't have to suck to, to look really good naked. And I started getting into that and it went really well, but then that started to feel hollow. Then I started to feel like I shouldn't just talk about carbs all the time and calories and nutrition but then all of a sudden mental, the mentality side of this, like, no, let's actually talk about how to change your belief system and how to um, dive down this realm of like leveling up who you are as a person and changing these deep rooted uh, identities that you have, but also how it ties to fitness. Um, cause that's, that's the thing is, is cause I, cause I haven't gotten out of like the fitness side of stuff by any means, but 
I think it's really important where like how the fitness industry doesn't talk about internal work or headspace or any of this stuff. Like it, it really bothers me because at the end of the day, everything we do comes from where our headspace is at and our mentality and our emotions. And if you don't handle your headspace and your mental health, you're not going to have long-term physical progress. And that's where I really started to take stuff. For sure. Now I'm curious, what, what have you been, uh, what is like the resources that you've been reading, watching, listening to that really got you intrigued in this area? Because, you know, you, you don't really know something's missing until you understand much about it. You go, well, you know, we're not even talking about this in the fitness industry. So I was just yeah. curious what, what you came across that make you realize that there's a big deficit in this industry. Uh, my own experiences, first and foremost. Um, number two, material-wise, I, material I had started reading um, things like uh, by Dr. Joe Dispenza, a big PhD in neuroscience, um, a lot more, psych- learning more about just psychology and, mm-hmm. and just human behavior, um, studying psychologists, studying therapists, going through therapy myself, um, being really aware of what my clients are going through and kind of what's starting all this stuff. And that's really where it all kind of stemmed from. Yeah, there's definitely a psychological aspect to fitness. And in my opinion, it's the most important part of fitness. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's a huge deal. Like it's, it's, it's such a big deal. You know, like going through undergrad for exercise science, it was just basically a lot of uh, very basic. I, that's the thing is like, I don't know, maybe I just had a bad experience with psycho- like psychology classes. It's just they kept it super simple, just like intrinsic, extrinsic motivation, but they don't talk about the, the what ifs and the specifics, but I guess it's kind of hard because it depends on the person. But yeah, like, like you mentioned that there's only a certain amount of ways that you can learn things. One of them is experience. And the other one is, I, you know, honestly, I just think it's experience, right? Like you need to have a, a, a baseline and then you got to apply it and see how it differs amongst human beings. Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally agree with that. That's why I like, again, it, like a lot of mine goes back to my, my own experiences and my own um, with myself and with my own clients and what they're going through. Uh, and to be honest, like even the stuff that I've been reading, it wasn't in a university setting. It was on my own, mm-hmm. on my own studies. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, most of what I learned, it wasn't when I was in college, it was, mm-hmm. it was all on my own, whether it be a one person I would go to work with or one person that I would choose to like take their course or pick up their book or dive into like whatever, like buy a phone call with them and have a conversation and all this stuff. That's where all my things, my, my, my education came from. And that's because a lot of people like I'll get every once in a while, someone that's like wants to know like degrees and certifications, which is fine. But like, I don't pride, like for me, I don't pride myself on any of that at all. Like I didn't learn much with that. What Mm -hmm. I, what I pride myself on is like literally working with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And like, now, like I just, I, after working with that many, my own case studies, if you want to call them that, like it's mm-hmm. hard to be shaken or, you know, a textbook might say one plus one is two, but what happens when you have a client who's one plus one equals 17? Yeah. Like, well, that's not how it's supposed to be. Like, well, that's their reality. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like science and all of this education is important, but I also think that a huge part of it is experience because let's say you can read about depression and anxiety and how it affects your psychology and how your motivation to exercise goes down. But it's not until you, you, until you suffer from it, basically that you're like, wow, like this really happens. Like one thing is reading about it, but another thing is experiencing it. Because if if you've experienced it, then you can relate to your clients and it's better to communicate. You understand them. But if you, if you have never experienced it, you, you can't say that you understand them because you really don't. Yeah, no, I agree with that a hundred percent. It's like, 
you know, like ima- imagine going and learning, like, let's say, let's say you want to learn how to fight. Like, let's say you want to go into cage fighting, like UFC, <laughs> the dude's training you has never been in a fight. Would you like, you probably are like, wait, you've never been hit in the mouth. And, and, and it's, and it, and it would question his validity, right? It's, it's the same kind of thing, right? Where if experience is literally something that you can't not benefit from. So. Yeah. It's just, uh, when it comes down to, you mentioned like, you don't really learn a lot of things when it comes to your, your undergrad degree, because yeah, you learn the basics, but at the end of the day, it's more so I think like degrees and, um, and certifications just shows that you know how to learn, you know? Right. You, or, yeah, or specifically, you can pass a test. Like you can right. memorize. Right. That's, that's that's my biggest pet peeve because like even certifications that, 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 that like I have that I got years ago, like the fact that I'll look back with like my critical brain and be like, they're teaching that. Like that doesn't make sense. They're they're telling people carb store fat. They're telling people like vibration training, put a thing on your waist and like <laughs> jiggle and it gets fat. Like that's wrong. Yeah. Like, yep. it's, it's it it, it 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 blows my mind. Don't get me wrong. There's I'm not talking anything against like if. There, there are great credentialing companies out there and, and things like that. But mm-hmm. there's a level of it that you like, I, I used to be a certification junkie. I wanted like the alphabet behind my name, like, and just have every credential on the wall. But like at the end of the day, like that's fine. But unless that's one applicable to what you're doing. And number two, like if you're doing it for people, like most people don't care. I've been coaching yep. people for a decade and I've had three people ask me about credentialing. Mm. 10 years of coaching. I've had three people reach out to like actually say, what is your degree in? What's your certifications in? And I'm in like in a decade, I've had like three or five people ask. No one cares. They just care if what you're doing is going to be able to help them. You know? Yep. Now talking specifically about your online coaching, um, mm-hmm. I'm just curious how you built your following, you know? So you have a podcast, you have a great Instagram page. I was just, and you mentioned that, you are now releasing content that's coming from a thoughtful and a care in a caring place. Was, mm-hmm. was this the goal? Just build a lot, large platform and then hopefully make it into a profession. So that's a good question. So the thing is um, bi- building a business or specifically an online business in the 21st century is now we, we have opportunities that our family and friends growing up didn't have, right? When you had a brick and mortar in your city without the internet, you're going to get people at a 50 mile radius. And the only thing you have is like newspaper and word of mouth. And don't get me wrong. Word of mouth is still the best form of advertisement out there, but still like social media just makes your reach greater, especially if you have an online business. Like now I have people that I have people that work with me from freaking Egypt or Dubai or California or Florida or literally everywhere. So I have to have a number one, a spot where everyone around the world can see me if I want to have clients from all over the world. But uh, I just wanted to be able to help people at a grand scale because um, I built, because that's the thing is before I got online, I built a really successful in-person business. I was, okay. uh, because that's, that's when I started, because uh, I was studying, I was in school actually studying to be a, a physical therapist, but ended up, I didn't want to get my PhD and, <laughs> and go $200,000 in debt. And again, I wasn't passionate about it. I was just like, All right, I guess this is what I'm going to do. Along the way, I found out about personal training, fell in love with it one of the classes I took um, was basically like a 16 week practical course in personal training. Like you would go do practicals with your classmates and train them in the right programs for them and all this stuff. And I found out I loved it. And I was always naturally, naturally entrepreneurial. So I would still, I'd still had like normal do- a job, but like I hated it. I hated having a boss and I would rather be in charge of all my own stuff. So I built a personal training business where I was working at like three different gyms and all this crazy stuff. Then I built my in-person personal training business and I was, just driving myself into the dirt with it. I'd get to the gym at four 30 in the morning, leave at 10 o'clock at night and 
train like 200 sessions a month and just all this stuff. And right around that time, I wanted to get online because then online coaching started becoming kind of cool. And I was like, oh, this is neat. And I kind of got into it and I started posting content. What felt, that's the thing at all times, I always try to feel when I create my content, I, a couple things. Number one, what helps people, but then also what still feels authentic to me and what feels in my gut. Because everyone's different. It's why like someone might build a crazy following from posting exercise tutorial videos, but I don't, but I won't, I, I can't build a following posting exercise tutorial videos. Cause it's not, my heart's not in it. My energy's not in it. And it's just not, it's, it's like me being someone else, but I start talking about headspace stuff. Things skyrocket versus someone else who's not into that. It's not going to, it's, it's the same kind of thing. Everyone's different. And I feel like, you know, everyone's situation is so much different where that's why we all have different callings in different places. Um, you know, like I follow, I follow online different um, physical therapists who talk about like every issue, like here's my video on sciatica. Here's my video on shoulder impingements. Here's my video on this. And they have like 1.2 million followers. Whereas if I tried to do rehab stuff, I wouldn't build, build it like that. It's, it's the same kind of thing where um, at the time, every time I I'm building content, I'm still really thinking about what, because there's two things, either solves a problem or is entertaining, right? Or what I try to do, I do my best to make them both happen. Like where I'm funny and there's some education in there, like my weird Karen videos and stuff like that. Um, but that's the thing is people go to social media for one of two reasons, entertainment first and foremost. It's why the Kardashians are a thing or number two to solve a problem. But I don't want to just be like a, a professor, you know, that's boring and shit. So, um, but no, that's when I started uh, building my social media platforms like Instagram, uh, still like a Facebook community, still uh, like my podcast, a YouTube channel, uh, TikTok. Like I still have all those platforms, but then I use those to just, I, it's as corny as it sounds or as simple as it sounds, I've literally just poured the best content I possibly have for free. Mm-hmm. And then yep. that's literally my business tactic. What's authentic to me? What's in my heart? What do I feel passionate about? What is entertaining or helps people in the best I have for free? And there's my business tactic for social media. And that's why my social medias blew up. And uh, cause that's the thing it, it's, it's like, have you ever, you guys I'm sure have gone to like buy something in a sales scenario, like a car or furniture or whatever. And you could tell that, that furniture or that, that salesman just looked at you like a dollar and he was just trying to swindle you right. and manipulate you because yep. he just wanted your money versus like actually trying to help you. People do the same thing for social media. They think of all about the likes, the comments and the followers. They don't, think about like what's actually helping people what do people need what is the market actually telling me when they're asking all these questions what are what 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 do they even need that they're verbally telling you it's the same kind of thing yeah definitely now i'm curious uh you know you're, you're utilizing all these social media platforms and then you have the podcast and uh, i'm just curious what is what is your favorite muse like what what is the one that you love to work on the most uh, it's so my favorite is my podcast. My, literally my favorite thing in the world is speaking. I love coming on podcasts. I love it when a company or a, an organization brings me into like, whether talk about fitness or talk about this headspace stuff where I can get on a stage and hold a mic or get in front of a camera is like my favorite thing ever. Um, I can also get deeper, uh-huh. right? Like I'm not subject to a character limit or whatever. I can just, and you can, you know, with, with stuff like this, you can feel my energy. You can, you can hear the, uh, the inflections in my tone. I just, I prefer it. Um, and, but, but otherwise outside of podcasting, uh, I spent most of my time on like Instagram, mm-hmm. but I've been farting around on TikTok, and it's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I don't know why everyone's it's like, like talks trash about it. I love TikTok, and I grew in, in, even from a following standpoint, 
what took me three years to build on Instagram took me five months to double it on TikTok. So like, wow. so like it, even my, my following built even faster, but it's, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I like them all. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's entertaining. And also like the time limit, I feel like it makes you think, all right, what is the most funniest thing about this idea and how do I condense it? You know? Sure. And that, that's, I think that just feeds into our already like instant gratification mindsets with everything that's going on in the world. And you just, you can just swipe and eat like seven or eight videos in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I think a lot of it, it can go both ways. Cause like, then it can also, I think it also just makes someone more well-rounded, right? Like not even think about the, what we as people like to watch. We don't always want to sit down and watch a movie. Sometimes mm-hmm. we like 30 minute shows. We don't always want to have these deep intellectual conversations with people. We do, but sometimes it's like, it's fun to just, you know, bust each other's balls. And like, yeah. like it, it's the same thing with content. Sometimes quick content that's funny, that makes you feel good, especially during like, especially like going back to that, uh, you know, sensor, sensory acuity is everybody's hurting right now. The world's in an interesting place with COVID and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Not everyone wants to like learn from a textbook and get deep. A lot right. of people want to just laugh and feel good. Like watch a Kevin Hart video or like, you know, like Kevin Hart on TikTok is like the best thing ever. Like it's, it's stuff like that where it's not, I think people have a tendency to get in one place. Well, Instagram is it only or only podcasting or only this style of content. It's like, well, what about like whatever just feels good in the moment, you know, part of the being, just being present too. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Now this has been absolutely awesome, man. Like the way you speak, as you mentioned just earlier, like, you know, your inflections of your voice, it's very refreshing. You know, sometimes we have people on the podcast and it's kind of like mundane and it's a lecture, but not only did you bring awesome analogies, but like, you know, him and I, we have, we have a seven thirty class where we have to do a bunch of lectures and stuff like that. We both came in here dragging ass, but you definitely <laughs> have given me a lot of energy. I'm about to take on the day. That. I love that, man. That's my goal. I appreciate that. I guess my final question for you would be, you know, what's, what's the, the goal in the future? You have any specific plans? Uh, I want to be on a stage in front of a hundred thousand people. Hell yeah. Um, that is one goal. I actually don't talk about it a whole lot is uh, um, I, I'm telling you, I love speaking. I have found this past year or so. Um, I love speaking. I love podcasts. I love um, getting in front of people. Um, especially I'm really trying to uh, be cognizant of like, what what well number one what makes me feel good what gets me in my flow state what gets me like excited like, it, like it's it's interesting just just listening to your own body about what makes you feel good is super powerful like you know if I were to go and sit in a class all day I would sitting on my ass I would literally get exhausted but I could do this for hours and not get tired and miss a beat because this is just what's authentic to me right now this is what is me and my 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 state uh, it, it kind of sounds kind of corny, but like what you would call the flow state or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it, and, and it feeds you. It's, it's interesting, but no, that's one of my biggest goals is how much I discovered. I love public speaking and what it feeds me a lot. Um, and I feel like because of like the communication stuff, like not to sound like arrogant, cause I think arrogance is, is gross. Um, I think there is a level of a gift there for communication and things like that. So just kind of making that at a grander scale, but no, one of my big goals is I want to get on stage in front of like a stadium would be pretty dope. So that's awesome, man. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, like the podcast and this whole social media game is kind of what keeps us going. We have way different views of what we learn in school and it's like exhausting to be there like eight hours sitting down and then you got to go and you got to study more and you got to, but I mean, I don't like talking a lot when it's not about something that, that, that that's my passion, right? I can talk about, fitness, nutrition, psychology, rehab all day. 
Uh, and it's awesome that whenever you find your passion, it's kind of like, it doesn't bother you to work or talk five, six hours and you don't get tired. hundred percent. Well, and then where people get stuck is all of a sudden that's not your passion anymore. Like I, my, my passion used to be about, uh, really intricacies of muscle mechanics and strength curves and resistance profiles. And I could talk about that for hours. And now I don't like, I still know it. I just don't want to talk about it for hours. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Versus like, I think, but that's part of evolving as a person, right? Like, like you shouldn't be the eight year old you were like, you don't fit in your eight year old clothes anymore. Right. If you're growing, you shouldn't fit in your eight year old clothes. And I think people need to adopt that with everything. You're not going to be the marriage you are eight years later than when you got married. You're not going to be the same person graduating college and you were going into college. And I think people have a resistance to that versus like, it's okay. And that's how it's supposed to go. And you should be growing. I mean, you're not supposed to be the same person you were a year ago. Yeah. And you're not Correct. supposed to have the same mindset or the same beliefs. Yep. You're supposed to be evolving. A lot of people get stuck doing the same thing because that's what's always been done, whether it be the same kind of content, whether it be the, the same social circle, the same everything. And because and that's the thing, guys, is it can be scary, right? Like it was scary going from like what built a big following for me to like feeling kind of hollow about it and then starting talking about this other stuff. Scary. Because like, what if I lose everything? What if like, but, but at the end of the day, like what if, imagine like on a grand, this is a guy that I study was talking about this. He says, what if Michael Jackson or Michael Jordan or Oprah did that? Like, it's you got like Michael Jordan, one of the best athletes of all time. And he's like, no, man, I got to stay at Applebee's. They give me a good pension. <laughs> but, but he's really passionate about basketball. It's like, what would the world have been? You know, it's, and I try to remember that where it's like, I think, I believe there, there is something magical, as corny as it sounds, in, in all of us. And I think that's why we have passions and why we have different drivers. And I think we should just follow that and, and see where it, where it takes, you know. Sometimes you, you just got to do it, you know. Obviously, you got to be careful, but I've mm -hmm. always said that you got to take the biggest risk that you can recover from. Yeah. It's scary, but you Absolutely. just got to do it. Mm-hmm. 100%. That's why I have a bunch of henna tattoos on my chest, because I can always <laughs> yeah. just erase them later. I can't bring them home to my mother. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, man, this has been awesome. Where can everyone find you? Oh no, I appreciate you guys having me on. It means a lot. I, it, this was a lot of fun. This was a, really, this was, this was a, a lot of fun. Um, no, a few places people can find me. My podcast is called the Hamilton trained podcast oh, everywhere. Podcasts are, um, if you want to get an idea for my content, Instagram would be a good place to look. Uh, that's at real Jared Hamilton. Some douchebag took Jared Hamilton. So I put real in front of my name. So real Jared Hamilton. Um, and my website's hamiltontrained.com. I'm actually having it rebuilt like right now. So it might have an under construction sign because I'm having it redone, but otherwise that's my, my website too. So I'll link all of that to the show notes so people can find you easier. Awesome, man. I appreciate that.